Welcome to the Dreams and Money podcast, the ultimate guide to creating and living your best life. Join me as I talk to inspiring, trailblazing millennials who are breaking barriers and being bosses in their careers and personal lives. On this episode, I speak to Dignified and Elliot Cox. We talk about the hypersexualization of black men and their experiences being sexually objectified in the workplace. We discuss money, its link to mental health and the pressure to be breadwinners from a young age, plus so much more. So stay tuned. Okay, so welcome everyone to the Dreams of Money podcast. This is season two, episode two. And I have two of my favourite people, and I'm being so genuine, like, you guys are two of my favourite people, who are joining me today. It is Dignified, who's been here before, so this is not his first merry go around, but I also have Elliot Cox, who's one of my best friends. Yeah, I'm going to let you guys introduce yourself and a quick brief about what you do, who you are, all the good stuff. Start with you, Elliot. Yeah, of course. Um, I was actually really excited to come today my first podcast so a bit about myself used to play professional football was from a sporting background before then I kind of transitioned into higher education and I've been working at several places different alternative providers different universities as well and just currently at King's College London and what else do you do on the side because I feel like you you don't just do one thing yeah I I can't lie I do keep kind of busy Uh, so yeah, I do a lot of other things on the side, mainly to do with like kind of like my side business that looks at kind of like health holistically. And so both from the physical and mental standpoint. So from the physical, and that's mainly like personal training and massage. From the mental standpoint, that's kind of counselling. Finished my level two in counselling skills. Currently doing my level three in counselling studies, and probably contemplating about doing a conversion masters in psychology at some time as well. We love Educated King, we do. Very brilliant. (laughs) Dignified, what about you? What you got going on? Well, my name is Dignified. I'm a solution consultant out in the IT space. Outside of my full-time gig, I work as a project manager for a music promotions company, produce some of the biggest Afrobeats concerts in the UK, also work as a podcaster in my free time. And yeah, it's good to be back here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. So if you haven't listened to that episode featuring Dignified, listen to it. I love it. I think it's episode four? I think it was four, four, five. Yeah, one episode of those. four. It's one of the good ones. So definitely um, kind of listen to his story a bit more in depth and how he got into entertainment and events and just his journey. Is Yeah, it was a good one. Okay, so I brought you guys here today because you're men, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> No, um, no, I brought you guys here today because, yeah, I just wanted to kind of get into the minds of men a bit more. I, as a woman, obviously, I speak to a lot of women, but I feel like sometimes I don't always take the opportunity to listen to men more. I mean, I do, but not in depth and particularly about the things we're going to discuss today. I think it's something that's been said a lot online about men are not given safe spaces or you guys are not allowed to express yourself freely and to sometimes express grievances or whatever it is like truly express your your experiences your emotions all of that stuff so i thought why not just speak to men about it and see what you guys think what you guys have experienced and kind of learn from you versus assuming what you guys go through as men particularly as black men too um so that was the reason 
So basically, I came across this article from a writer, a black man, and he was, I believe, writing a book or something along those lines. And basically, he had unfortunately had an incident where he felt like his colleague, a woman, was being a little bit forward, making comments, you know, compliments. Sometimes what he felt like were inappropriate comments about his features, how he looks, maybe flirting a little bit. Long story short, there was an incident where she was unwell. So she invited him over to his house to have a meeting. Now he then thought it was a little bit inappropriate considering the comments that she'd made and he just thought it was just inappropriate to meet at home. Why not just do a Zoom meeting or just wait until she was well enough to go back to the office? Unfortunately for him, the incident spiralled and he ended up being laid off. So he lost his job. So I thought as... I don't want to make it a race thing, but here we go. As as black people, <laughs> Let's talk you about know, it. it's you know, widely known that sometimes black bodies are hypersexualized sometimes fetishized and looked at as exotic particularly being in the western world and we are not in africa or the caribbean it's seen as something different something new something people using words like oh chocolate to describe you or this caramel blah 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 all of those words which are a little bit sometimes inappropriate and just make you not inhumane but just like as if you're like a trophy or something to be to be looked at right so i wanted to ask you guys like what's your experience of that in the workplace or just in not just in general but particularly in the workplace because i feel like that's where of course like your, your workplace is absolutely important and that's where it, things can can be tricky go over the line sometimes and you know like just just get weird so what's your experiences all right. So about, uh, you know, the black male being sexualized or objectified, if we could call it that, um, I think that's something that I think most black men in the workplace have experienced, even outside of work, in the sense that, you know, we're seen by the other races, you know, as that conquest, you know, that adventure that you can go on and, you know, experience the black man and experience that, you know, much talked about, you know, well endowed well endowed uh, thank you for the censorship there (laughs) we've all experienced that at some point and it can feel very awkward especially when it's in the workplace because again this is where i'm in my daily bread so it is a very sterile environment you need to be careful of what you say what you do even how you respond to it as well needs to be measured and especially when you're a black person, you don't want to come across as aggressive or making the thing a race thing, right, you know, right. even though that has undertones of racial stereotypes. So it's, it's a bit of a really difficult or sticky situation to be in. You know, I, I've had a few experiences myself, you know, where comments will be made like, um, I'm tired of dating white guys. I want to experience a black man and have some great sex. Wow. I've had a colleague say that to me. Wow. I've had a colleague say, uh dignified you have a nice bomb and she actually tried to grab it and i thought oh, you know i laughed it off at the time That's but then i thought if i did that her. yeah i thought if i did that it would be a very different conversation you know but it is what it is this is this is some of the things we have to deal with in the workplace i mean i feel like i feel like saying it is what it is sometimes makes it okay for other people to do because you just kind of surpass it as "Eh, well it's just part of life like let's just it is what it is let's just move forward with it Mm -hmm. and not correct people and pull them up on things that they do that are inappropriate um because obviously if you had done that to somebody else Mm -hmm. like commented on their physique and then tried to touch them you potentially 
could have lost your job. My career will be done. Right? Yeah, and my then, career will be done. And I'm sure that's that's probably legal grounds for you to then now be on the sex offenders list. Exactly. Because if you're reported, it goes to the police, it's a whole other situation. That's crazy. And then what is. about you? Like, what's your experiences of that? I think mine's kind of different. Mine's only different because... I primarily grew up in a male-dominated field, so my secondary school was all boys. When I went to college, it was our football team that was in the same class, so that was all guys. So it wasn't really until I ventured out of football where there was kind of like just that, that mix with women in general. And I think thriving for it, because even like secondary um, at an all-boys school, I think it made it worse because we just couldn't wait to see women after school or on our break if there's like all this close by. Uh, say from a work team, um, I've definitely experienced it as well. Um, as direct as dignified, it's been more indirect okay. for me. Mm-hmm. Like what? So they necessarily come out, said anything, but I can see them watching certain areas. Mm. Um, found interesting, but with me, I'm say about things. So I think, well, I'm just kind of working it. But then, like the stare would be for longer than <laughs> normal. normal. Yeah. So then, thinking to myself, well, is it really me doing it? And then I'm running through these scenarios in my head. But um, definitely if the shoe was on the other foot um, and, and I was watching that intently or passing certain remarks, things could be dealt with completely differently. And yeah, you, you definitely, as, as, as a, like a young black man, it's kind of thing that it's that, that adventure, that, that excitement, something that's a, a bit different. Genuinely see the joy in a lot of it. Yeah. Um, almost comical. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, what what do you mean by that? Do you mean like how people look at you sometimes or how they approach you? Like, a bit of both, yeah. So they're looking at you, kind of look at you as if like this old taster or the exotic, something to try. And like if I said about, what's the comment about the, um, how you've yeah. my boyfriend? Sexual experiences of the black man. Wow. The down to see that, you know, and it's all a stereotype. I'm not saying black men don't. I'm not saying they do. But it is a stereotype that's been perpetuated decades ago maybe centuries ago against black men against so these things have now stuck and these are things that other races have in their private conversations and you should try a black man well endowed and things like that and when they see another black man at the, in the workplace, like uh, Elliot said, they might not say. They pretty much like, is it really? Does it look like there is? I don't want to be feeling that way in my work. I'm being assessed not on the quality of my work, on what I might potentially be endowed with. Do you get what I mean? It's, it's a ridiculous one. So, and do you know what? It's, sorry, it, it's really funny what you said there. Because um, I was reading a book by Akala called Natives. Um, <laughs> really, really good book. And part of the story in that book, he was talking about something similar and he was talking about Linford Christie as a runner and I didn't realise until I was reading it um, but his nickname like was the lunchbox um, but when we're talking about the lunchbox we're referring to his manhood and especially in athletics when you're wearing tight clothing so it almost became this thing where they were pulling it like in the news in all the media Christie's lunchbox and it's like a joke from their side but then when they're referring to it all the time it's like taking away from his actual ability as an athlete because they're not actually thinking about his running they're just thinking about his lunchbox so yeah i can see how it almost reduces you into a, a sexual object even though people should be focusing on your abilities your skills and what you're capable of and obviously his his running abilities and what his athleticism versus just like what he has so now with that being said obviously there's other stereotypes that are there about black men 
Now, do you ever find yourself kind of being very cautious and aware of the way you act in the workplace, in how you present yourself, how maybe quiet you are, how loud you are, how how you assert yourself. Um, I know obviously you were in a in a managerial position before. Like how you go about things. Like are you aware of the way you you present yourself because you're also subconsciously aware of the stereotypes that exist and maybe not wanting to be a self-fulfilling prophecy of those stereotypes? A hundred percent. Probably to the point where I would overcompensate in certain areas. Um, So I know there's this thing where they stereotypically say black people are always late. So with me, I made sure that I was extra punctual to anything that I was going to, but it was something that was always playing in the back of my mind. Yeah, there's just so many different stereotypes, but I think it's it's impossible to separate yourself from them. So obviously in the workforce, but then also outside the workforce, the amount of times I could walk down the street at night, somebody that could be from a kind of different ethnicity might decide to cross the road. I might not even be in a hooded tracksuit. I might just be in jeans and a shirt. They decide to cross the road, step on the bus. Somebody might have their handbag next to them. They then decide to clench their handbag and pull it in closer to them because they might assume that I might try to rob them, all of these different stereotypes. And one that I'll just touch on quickly that I found like really interesting was my friends and I went shopping to Zara one time and we were just looking, just browsing and it's to the point where you're getting followed around so much that it's almost embarrassing. So I just said to security, like, I, I just don't feel comfortable with you just watching my every movement. Like, I come in here all the time, I have absolutely no intention to steal. After that, they continued to do the same thing. So I said to the security again, would you mind just not following me? To that point, they kind of called the manager of the shop, said, you're causing trouble, like, we want, we're going to escort you out. I said, you can't escort me out, I'm just browsing. Essentially phoned police on me, got escorted out of the shopping centre. Then the same lady that basically phoned the police on me just for browsing in the shop, I saw her about four months later, because I work at a hospice. And the person that I was caring for was actually her father-in-law. And I just do that through volunteering. And she saw me, she looked at me, and she couldn't say a word. She just looked in my face, so embarrassed. And it's because you have these preconceptions, but you really don't know what somebody is like until you actually speak to them and get to know them. That's very interesting. That is so heavy. And the fact that, it again, it's then affected your whole entire day. My whole entire day. The whole day, the whole week, potentially. Like you said, like now she's embarrassed thinking, oh my God, like I made these assumptions about this person and actually he's a caring person. He's, do you know what I mean? Like that's not his character. But yeah, we could could talk about that all day. So something I wanted to talk about is how men are sometimes the cause of their own demise. (laughs) (laughs) Hear me out. (laughs) Hear me out, right? So in terms of men do this thing where they like to flex on each other. Mm. They love to boast, they love to show off in terms of like material things, what car they drive, who they are, the amount of money they earn through women, um, trying to impress women with these same items. But then another thing I also realised that sometimes you guys are not honest about the fact that you also do it to impress other men. Like, you do a lot of the things that you do to impress other men. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but... Elliot, do you want to take this one? <laughs> do you know what? I've I've never really been one to kind of follow the crowd. I've always kind of stood out, like, by myself in the sense that 
I don't really follow fashion, but I know a lot of people that kind of do that to kind of maintain this image. And like you said, they do it to impress women and guys. So for instance, if you're taking a girl um, for a first date to Hackersands, mm -hmm. but three months later you're taking her to Wimpy, like something's not adding up, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and that's difficult to maintain. Uh, I think it's just about just being honest with yourself, just staying in your lane. Like everybody peaks at different times. We're not all meant to be at a certain place all at the same time. Life doesn't operate like that. Yeah, um, definitely. So I think we should just be comfortable within our own skin. Um, but yeah, def definitely people people do that. But then going back to the council, if you dig a bit deeper, is why are you why are you trying to do that? Mm. And a lot of my friends and family that may have grown up in various parts of London, but mainly South London, right, growing up on a council estate, people say, well, why are they driving this car and they, they live in this estate? But people are saying that you don't understand where those people are coming from or what they've been through. That might have been their dream to always want to drive, drive that car. That car. Right. So if that car makes them feel better, then what's the issue with them having that car? Yeah. Don't get me wrong, they can't abandon certain priorities like... You can't be doing that but not providing for your family at the same time because that stuff doesn't make sense. But a lot of people pass judgment on a lot of things, but until people are in certain people's circumstances or people's shoes, it's really hard to it's really hard to judge. I mean, if I could just come in there, uh, Elliot said something very interesting that before we can judge people, we need to look at where they're coming from. And I do admit a few years ago, I was that guy that was, you know, trying to, I was very concerned about image how i was perceived how even when i go on dates you know you want to come across as you're doing very well you're doing okay at a certain point in my life i was unemployed but i was taking uber everywhere and i was wearing my suits every time you see me outside my house i wasn't exactly unemployed i was an entrepreneur but my business wasn't doing too well so the lifestyle i was portraying on the outside wasn't exactly matching my reality right so i'm wearing suits everywhere taking uber everywhere looking like this guy must be making at least a thousand pounds a day with the lifestyle i was leaving um and why why was i doing that because what you see you aspire to a certain level you look at people around you you see what people that you look up to are doing you're also trying to sort of match up to that that standard or even the people around you the expectations they place on you this could be coming from family this could be coming from your siblings your friends where they think oh no, Dignified must be doing very well by now. You know, the other day I was with some friends and they're like, I'm sure Dignified can easily just take us on a dinner now and we do TK easily. And I thought, are you, you, are you my accountant? <laughs> do you pay my wages? Like, how did you arrive at that conclusion? You know, so a lot of young men have that pressure, not necessarily because they're trying to impress girls or impress other people, but because of the expectation from the people around them so they also feel like oh i need i can't afford to let these people down or see me less than i actually or yeah see me less than i would like them to see me as yeah. you know and then you start to do more than you need to do and we then park that aside we as men sometimes are raised to be very territorial you should be the alpha male in the room when you walk into the room so that's why you'd see things like you go to for example a club and out of nowhere there's a champagne war going on 
one table or just 10 bottles. Some guys across the room feel, oh no, this guy's making us feel less or, yes, you know, they're, they're, they're flexing they're, on us, they're flexing on us and then they will then order 10 bottles and then next thing you know is nobody's drinking the bottles, but, you know, everybody's going to rack up debt or, you know, max out their, their debit credit cards, whichever way it is, just to win the night. And then everybody goes home and doesn't remember who the guy was that bought the 20 bottles. <laughs> Do you get what I mean? So essentially that's what it is. Society does sometimes place that pressure on us. And sometimes we as men do place that pressure on ourselves, just like Elliot said. And, and it's hilarious what you're saying, because when you actually think about it, when you said you're having champagne wars in the club, and, and I've seen it. And I've also had friends that have been there and... They've seen women that they like in there, so they're thinking, do you know what? We're just going to have to get that one step over the other guys in the yeah. club. Then on the way home, when we go back to Bagel King, I don't know if you lot are familiar with Bagel yeah. King. Like, yeah, after the club, everyone used to go Bagel King. But they're like, Elliot, is it okay if you just like borrow me a little bit of money so I can get a crumbling custard and a bun and cheese? Is that that point the reality starts to set in and you start to question yourself, was that really wise? Did I really need to do that? Exactly. Was, was, what was the point of that? Exactly. <laughs> But in the heat of the moment, you're not thinking about it that way. You're just like, I need to prove a point. I need to be the alpha in this room. Okay, you're the alpha now. What happens next? Exactly. Like, what's next? <laughs> okay, exactly. Great. You bought your Gucci trainers. You've popped the champagne bottles. You've taken the Snapchats or the Instagram videos. Yeah. And people have seen it. Like, what now? What yeah. happens yeah. next? That you've, you've done all of this. And I think sometimes, like, if I'm going to be honest, like, you've done that but then there's no satisfaction that comes from that yeah like there really is never any internal satisfaction that comes from okay i've flexed on these people and most of the time you know that they don't care yeah like yeah. they don't care whether you spend your money on two bottles or ten bottles or that you went to hakasan or you went to burger king yeah they don't care because most of the time they are preoccupied with their own life and what's going on in their household what's going on with with their pocket yeah they can look at your instagram and think oh okay Elliot looks like he's doing good like mm. he's doing all of these amazing things he's shopping here he's shopping there but once they are off your page you are completely off their mind Mine, exactly they don't care exactly they don't care whether you've eaten <laughs> yeah. you know i mean they may be there and i think sometimes like with friends as well we also have to be real with each other yeah. and i think money conversations don't happen too often i don't know what men are like in your friendship groups but i feel like women sometimes are better with this in terms of just being honest and saying do you know what i can't afford this right now um or whether like your friend invites you to to go out to eat and you're like oh sis like i'm a bit low at the moment but can we do it next month but i, I don't know if that's the same for men or sometimes men may feel like they can't be honest and vulnerable with, with their money situation and just their current situation and say, do you know what, this I can do right now or maybe mm. let's not go out and pop 10 bowls. We can do two, but maybe not 10. Or we can do, I can do X, Y, Z for now, but I can't do this because you don't want to look as if you're the broke person in the friend group. Do you know, I don't know if culture comes into it as well, mm -hmm. um, but I definitely feel like when we were younger, nothing was really said in terms about if somebody's having like a low period where they're struggling, we might be able to see it visually, in which case we'll then support our friends somehow to try and make them not feel like they're inadequate. But that was never really spoken like when we was younger. And I think now that we're older, it's going to be even worse now because when you're older, you're expected to 
society places these things on you while you should have the house by the time you're 25, 30, you should be on X amount of money by the time you're this age. So I think even opening up now is even harder for people to really be honest about their money and, and their finances because a lot of people place finances directly with success and success can be many, many different things. Finances can just be like one aspect of success. Yeah, 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 and there is a great judgment placed on income and finance and all of that other stuff. But what I wanted to know is, have you got that squad where you're like, if you feel like, okay, I'm at a low place right now, or I'm not making. So, for instance, thinking about like an mm. instance where you had your business, but you were not making as much as you could have been. Yeah, would the people around you, so let's say outside of family, like your friends, mm. would they have been supportive or understanding to be like, okay? He's not in the same space we are in at the moment. He's not as financially stable. However, A, we can either support him or B, do things with you that don't cost as much. much you yeah. know, so you don't feel excluded. You still feel included, but then you also still feel supported and not judged because of your financial situation. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a really great question, Noms. And just like Elliot started with when he mentioned culture, the culture is plays a key part in all of this culture in terms of your upbringing the family you're from what was the mentality they've ingrained in you especially around conversations for money now for a lot of people it's a case of as young men we're seen as you're supposed to be a provider at some point in your life but just like Elio was saying there's different standards of success you should have this xyz amount of money and because of that it usually is difficult for men to actually have that conversation with each other it's easier for women sometimes but for men it's a case of if i'm not able to provide in quote as a man i'm already feeling a little my self-worth as a man is already being questioned by myself then i'm less inclined when i'm feeling that way to then go and have a conversation with my friend and then potentially even further devalue my self-esteem so to speak or my cred in the committee of men so to speak so at the time when i was in that phase where i was just keeping up appearances unfortunately i didn't have the circle of friends i had at the time i was supposedly or i was supposed to be the the guy that had it all together the successful one so there was no way or the there was almost no way I was going to go and talk to any of my friends at the time and say, hey, bro, you know, things are not really like that, like that. If I couldn't go out, uh -huh, if I couldn't go out, I'll just give an excuse. Oh, I'm, not, I'm not around today. I'm not in town today, that type of thing. But now the circle of friends I have now, and I'm very grateful for, we're able to have this conversation. You know, now we're talking together. And even when I suggest, because some of the people that know me, I like to go out and party. When I suggest, oh, let's go out to eat. They'll call me aside and say, okay, talk first. Is everything solid? Are we good? Well, when we go there, what are we likely to spend? What is the cup we're setting? What's everyone putting on the table? All of that is agreed before we go out. So now we're going out in a more responsible manner as opposed to before, let's just go there and shut down the place. And then we come home and we're soaking, Gary. For those that don't know what Gary is, <laughs> it's a Nigerian staple. You only that, well that's usually your only choice when you're broke uh -huh. some people eat it for fun but most people don't eat it when they have money in their pocket they'll eat chicken <laughs> right, I see. so yeah um it is is sometimes a very difficult conversation to have what about when it comes to women then since we're in, since we're talking about money how do you guys feel about 
I feel like this is decreasing as time goes on and as we women are becoming independent. How do you feel about the pressure to be, I guess, the, the providers or the expectation to be the main provider? I mean, of course, obviously nowadays, like there is the 50-50 split that's expected mm. uh, with your partner. Is it really expected? I mean, I feel like it is. Mm. I mean, for me, I feel like, for some reason, I just feel like it would be expected. I wouldn't want it. I'm, I'm not... Listen, to my future husband, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> to my future husband, if you're listening. I'm not trying to split 50-50, but no, I'm joking. Um, no, but I, I feel like it is. It's expected to split hmm. the, the financial responsibility of the home a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I guess my question is, do you is that expectation and how do you feel about having to be a psych that, that's placed on you to make sure your family is good and provided for? Do you know what? That's it. You know, you're asking some good questions, you know. Like, I'm really just <laughs> sitting here um, reflecting. I thought you was just going to come out with it and say, like, a question. Like, do you feel like if your partner was earning more than you were? I thought that's where you were from. Just in regards to what you're saying, um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure on the males to be the provider. But I, I genuinely think it's all down to, to the person that you're with, whether you feel that pressure or not. I think some of you can just have that kind of mutual understanding that call, this is us, this is where we want to be. And collectively, you're going to do this to ensure that we reach this goal. So I, th I think the individual live, but then also just your, your close circle and surroundings can have profound influence on you of pressure for providing. But there's definitely been times where I felt that. Time when my own split up when I was probably about 17 years old, quite a long time ago. And there's these transitions of worth and in counselling where they are projected on you like a, a very young age. And it's almost like you accepting what is verbalised to you. So I remember straight away, my mum was like, when my dad left, and she didn't like, you're the man of the house now. So for me, just in being in South anyway in general, but on top of that, but then there's that whole conversation where that might feed into like, toxic masculinity because mm. of that I never used to express emotions um, I wasn't emotional at all I was a caring person so I've always cared for people and I was always helped people but in regards to me they wouldn't know they wouldn't have a clue what I was going through mm. because I wouldn't let anybody see it right so in terms of like what you were saying the the pressure to be the man of the house how did that manifest itself physically in life it was hard for me because from an early age, I was, I was a decent, so I kind of knew that was what I do, got offered a contract. But the difficult thing, like a lot of other people, suffer injuries. For me, growing up, I had this whole thing, yeah, cool, I'm going to support my mum, I'm going to earn this X, X amount. And when people see you, the first thing they ask is, oh, how's football doing? Yeah. They don't even ask how you're doing. So for me, um, it was kind of a big blow for me. And it's not until like I've actually reflected on it Oh, probably only about six months ago that I actually probably was going through a bout of depression because I felt like a failure because I needed to provide for my mum, I needed to help my sister out because there's always stuff with families where there's so much that's that's going on and it's like, how can our families be working so hard but there's not as much to show for it? Mm. And, yeah. and that's what's frustrating because, yeah, you've done well, you've you might have educated yourself to this level, you're a grafter, you work hard, um, you're knowledgeable, you're good at networking, but there's still that 
struggle but I think it's because everybody is trying to help somebody down the line yeah. which means they're then unable to help themselves so it's just a knock on generational effect of everyone trying to help everyone point where they don't have much hey I know you are loving this episode make sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and send it to a friend now back to this episode and it holds you back like yeah. if we're going to be honest like financially mostly it does hold you back that's like from saving enough money that could potentially lead into whether that's starting a business or, or buying a home does restrictions or it just makes the journey a little bit harder than it could have been um so for instance you're going to buy your house in five years now you're going to buy your house in 10 years because it's taking you longer to save that amount yep. yeah. um but yeah for you dignified like yeah, would you I... say like you do have that that pressure or do, is that something you think about like okay my future spouse may be potentially thinking i'm going to be the the breadwinner and how do you deal with that mentally yeah i mean just like earlier said that's a really great question and i'll just start from from my background and my upbringing so i was born in the uk but i was raised in nigeria by nigerian parents nigerian extended family all around and in that setting or in that setup like most of or many other african families you're raised as a man to be one day a provider for not just your family but your extended family so from a young age subliminally or even overtly just like Elliot said you're the man of the house you have to take care of the house when I'm not around is you that is in charge mm -hmm. you know so you start to internalize that and then you grow up you know as you start to work and earn Yes, you might think, oh, I want to buy this for myself. But at the back of your mind, you're always thinking, I still need to do this for the house. I still need to change uh, mommy's car. I still need to pay for my sister's tuition. I still need to, that's, if you're not even lucky to come from a family that's, you know, well, very comfortable. So in that scenario, even when it comes to marriage, a lot of young men like myself are not thinking, oh, I'm going to get married and, me and my wife are going to be paying the bills together. That would be nice. But it's not something that I expect. If I get married and by God's grace, my partner is also comfortable enough and we're able to split the bills within ourselves, I'm still expecting to pay at least 70% of that. If at all we even get to split. My default setting or my default um, expectation is all the responsibilities on you as the man. If she says tomorrow, I don't want to pay bills, I can't hold her neck. It's fact. <laughs> It's fact. Oh God, you're so funny. It's fact. As an African man, that's the way you're raised. It's like you, it is your responsibility. Your wife's responsibility is to take care of the home. For you, it is your, if there's no lights in the house, go and talk to daddy. If there's no food in the, on the table, go and talk to daddy. It's not go and talk to mommy and daddy. It's, that's the reason why you're not going to school this week. You know, he didn't pay your school fees. That type of thing. So, you knowing that, it's like extra pressure. You need to work. You need to work. You need to work. And then you start working. The Americans call it the black tax. You start getting calls. Ah, uh, the roof in grandma's house fell down the other day. You that you were planning to save the 200 pounds you're planning to save this month. You have to send that back home. Next month is another problem. Ah, somebody's school fees is delayed. They, should, they want to write exam. And if you go to check in a lot of black families, these are the problems that not just even the men now, the, the 
women. The women as well face yeah. the in quote the successful people, the people that are working, that are better off than the other members of the family. These are the things that they have to deal with. So back to your main question, me going into a marriage, I don't expect, I'm not going into marriage with the mindset of me and my wife are going to split the bills. If we do, I still know that I'm going to pay a majority of it. So that pressure is there. And that's why you hear a lot of people, especially people like young men like myself that are not married yet will say, I need to make money before I go and do marriage. That's where that comes from. So when you hear people say, oh, I don't have money yet, that's why I haven't done wedding. It's not that they don't have money to do the actual wedding. It's the money to support a family of maybe two, three, yeah. uh, on one person's wage that they don't have. And that's where that pressure comes from. So yes, um, okay. I, do, I do experience that and uh, it's tough being... But then, okay, I both of you make complete sense. So on your last point about men wanting to be financially stable before they settle down, I think, and I've had the, this conversation with women um like my age we're like mid-20s late 20s going to the early 30s where obviously you know you're you're dating starting to um settle down you've got boyfriends or like you know you're, you're just in the dating pool and you hear this a lot from men about oh you know like they're not ready to be married because they're waiting to be in a financially stable situation or they're not ready for a relationship because they're not financially stable and I think sometimes, well, to me, how I looked at it was, well, it doesn't correlate because I'm not financially stable to, you know, provide for an entire family. However, are we not building together? Mm. And I think maybe there is that disconnect a little bit um, in how we're looking at it. So if women are looking at it from a perspective of, and obviously I'm not going to speak for all women, but for me and I guess my friends, it's okay. I want to build with you. Mm. I'm not expecting you to have everything perfect. So meet me in the middle, I'll meet you in the middle and we go forth together versus you feeling like you have to have everything perfect before you get into the situation. Because then that means I have to wait until like you're in your mid thirties to forties. Because <laughs> so, No, no, it's fact. No, because... It's fact. It's truth. <laughs> it's true. Way your eyes just widen then. No, but it's the truth. <laughs> because no but and I say mid thirties to forties because obviously that's when most people peak in their career and financially. So I guess, yeah, there is like a... Yeah, that disconnect is there. And I think it's that culture needs to be unlearned, in quote. That culture is in the same category with what Elliot said earlier about even things like men don't cry, men don't show emotions. So same thing, men should provide for the family, the responsibility is solely on them. That needs to be removed from the curriculum of raising boys. You know, you need to let them know you know, at one point in your life, you'll get married and together with your partner, you will build, you know, you would together, you know, finances, whatever, it would be you and your partner, not it is on you. And then you'd start to see where, okay, people, young men are more open to starting lifelong commitments much earlier in life. Really though? Yeah, yeah. Really? You you will see that. Trust me, you will yeah. see that. I mean, okay. I that, mean, if you say so, let me not question you. You're the man, so I'm not going to question you <laughs> what you say. Like, what happened? Okay. So, with that being said, what can we do? Because I feel like there's so much that men go through that we're unaware of as as women. Hmm. Um, so many pressures and challenges, really, that you go through and are trying to overcome as you grow. And I feel like. As I said at the beginning, there is this thing of men feeling like they don't have safe spaces to talk. Mm. Whereas like women do, because if it's one thing we do and we do great, 
is talk. So, like, what can be done about that in order to open up these conversations more and to get people talking and just get men feeling a bit more vulnerable and open and honest? I think particularly with each other. Yeah. Okay, so there's a statistic that says, like, the killer of men is suicide. Mm. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. And I feel like it also has to do with the pressures that have been placed on men yeah. from young to do so much and be so much in society. So I feel like that's something that needs to be tackled. And so much of that has to do with money, status mm. and power in their quest to conquer that, in their quest to get money and all of these things. So it's like, what can we do to support you guys and to help that situation? I'll probably say two things. It's, it's kind of hard to speak about all of those pressures and obviously not talk about social media and, and mm -hmm. things like that as well. But at the end of the day, people may feel a bit disheartened because they might not be in a position to obviously have a deposit for a house. They might look at someone's Insta and it's them like waving their key to like the new house. But at the same time, you, you don't understand like, have they gone through like shared ownership? Have they decided to buy it outright? Help to buy like you don't know people's mm. situation. Yeah. So have like, they been helped by their friends exactly. before? Or it's been given to yeah. them or yeah. whatever else. Exactly. So all of those kind of things, I feel like you don't really know. So you can't really take that at value. But it's hard to not be influenced by the pressures of social media just because you can't avoid it. Most people, even myself, I've got to be honest. Like I'm addicted to my phone. Like I'm actually addicted to my phone. But the second part that I was going to say, like where you said, well, how can people help? And it's just time. Like people are so busy now, but just to create time. Like how many times have we said, oh, how are you doing? But really, we don't really care how you're doing. We're just saying, oh, how are you doing? But do we really mean like, no, but how are you actually doing? Do you know what I mean? But we're so busy and we're so programmed, like, People might be working, but then they might be thinking, do you know what, I've got to go and do this for the family. or I've... There's so much going on. But for me, it's actually just time that people can give to people. Even it, it doesn't even have to be a lot of time. It could literally just be picking up the phone for 10 minutes one weekend. Like, do you know what, I've not spoke to you in a while. You've been on my mind. How have you been doing? Just checking in. And that's just to reinforce that people do care. Because a lot of the time when, like you're saying with these statistics, like sometimes people can feel, do you know what, my back's up against the wall. I'm feeling a bit isolated. Nobody's there. And I feel really, like nobody's, nobody's supporting nobody's me. Nobody's there. Do you know what I mean? That one phone call could, could change someone's whole mindset. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well said, Elliot. And uh, I think Elliot touched on something I wanted to bring up earlier, which was social media. I think we start there. Social media, you know, for all this good, is, in my opinion, also as equally as destructive in the sense that people go on social media and then they see other people potentially their age you know doing things big things like you said buying houses going on holidays you know um driving nice cars wearing designer gear getting thousands of likes and all of that good stuff and then they start to base their self-worth or their that measure their own success based on what they see or see being celebrated in social media and now the problem with that is not just even young adults like ourselves we have teenagers on social media now the other day my nephew was talking to me about he wanted uh i can't remember what he said whether off-white he wanted an off-white jacket for his birthday and in my head i thought you're only like what 11 
how do you know what off-white is? You know, even my people my age, they struggle to afford off-white. You know, I didn't even know about off-whites until maybe three, four, five years ago. And a, a nine-year-old already knows the designer stuff. So it means if I go and buy him Zara tomorrow, he's going to be looking at me like, what's this Oko doing here? You yeah. think you've done something right. So you can already start to tell where the mindset is. You know, same thing with a conversation I was having with my sister the other day. I said, in our generation, yeah, first class is nice, but it's not really a flex anymore now. What is a flex now is a private jet. That's the standard now, thanks to social media. So people that are 27, 25, 21, and now aspiring, you know, that's the, that's where they want to be, first class or private jet level. And that's where this pressure starts to come from. Secondly, I think we also need to look at how we raise our men, since that's what we're focusing on, how we raise our men. We need to change the approach to raising men, to raising boys. Things like, um, I'll, I'll put my parents on the line, for example, here. My father sent me to boarding school to, in quote, toughen me up. A lot of boys that went to boarding school went to boarding school because their parents thought, you know, they'll go there and become tough and they come back out. What happens in boarding school? People get sexually abused. People get physically abused. I still have a scar at the back of my head from being bullied in boarding house. Um, people just experience all kinds of horrible things in boarding house, for example. But in my parents' opinion, they sent me there to toughen me up. Now, I've come out of all of that and I've become emotionally like stiffened in quote. So I'm not so comfortable with, you know, showing emotions when I'm feeling down, going to talk to another friend or talking to my girlfriend, for example. I just have that mentality in my head where you always have to be tough. You shouldn't show emotion. You shouldn't do this. And what then happens is I start to exhibit self-destructive behaviors as a result of not speaking to somebody, even I started therapy recently as an example. I'm speaking to a psychotherapist now. It took me a while to get there because, again, that's not something that's really encouraged in our culture, in our community. That's not something that's spoken about a lot. So, again, those are things that we need to start having more conversations about, especially with our boys. It's okay to be emotional. It's okay to feel down from time to time. It's okay to talk to your friend. It's okay to cry. Things like that. And I think then people will be able to speak more, learn more, and realize that some of the things that they worry about are not that big a deal. Some of the things we base our value system on are not that big a deal. You or value as a man is not limited to how much you have in your bank account. It's not limited to what you wear. It's not limited to how many properties you own. Your value as a man should be what difference are you making in the lives of the people around you, in your community, in your neighborhood. You don't have to be the wealthiest person in the neighborhood giving away money you could be a counselor like elliot speaking to young people in your neighborhood giving them hope inspiring them encouraging them and you're just as relevant to that neighborhood as the prime minister is because again that's probably one potential drug dealer you've taken off the streets that's potentially one gangbanger you've probably talked out of going to harm someone Do you get, does that does that make any sense here yeah, yeah so I think that's that's where we need to go back to how we raise our boys, how we raise our men, and then just encourage more conversation among uh, our black men. And you know, it's it's funny, dignified, because what you said so true about how is speaking up's not really like encouraged in the community, but the community's been broken for so long. So yeah. why not even try and change certain things? Yeah. Um, 
but then that that could just be I don't know that could just be pre-installed but yeah I feel like changing the community is is definitely needed and you know what some people are creating like some great initiatives out there I've got a friend that's starting like a charity as well and it's kind of looking at young kids young adults from like the ages of 11 I think up to like the age of 18 and there's different aspects to it as well there's like a legal side um, where they're going to kind of get like taught about their rights so for instance if it's like they get stopped and searched like how to manoeuvre how to speak to police there's like the financial side as well about like opening a bank account investing career side interviewing techniques cv writing there's a lot of stuff that people can do and i feel like a lot of the time people are like oh this is a lost generation this is lost generation cool but what are you actually doing you're saying it's a lost generation but what are you doing to help the generation because if you're not coming up with a solution then you're just as big as the problem wow first of all thank you for that last part like what solution are you bringing to the table like don't be a complainer and an observer and just sit there and be the person that pinpoints everything that's wrong but you don't really have any solutions that you're bringing and you're not contributing anything to support the people that you're you're pointing their wrongdoing and you're not just contributing and finding ways to solve the issues that you see even if it's just like in one little way um but yeah, you guys have been amazing today. Thank you for being honest and being super open with me and sharing your stories and your experiences. I truly appreciate it. And Thank you for having us. No, I appreciate you guys. But honestly, like both of you, like individually, have supported me so so much, whether it's my podcast, my business, like me as a person. I appreciate you both and I love you both. And that is all I had to say. We love you too. Thank you for having us. Of course, of course. And yeah, we'll have to do this again. But you will definitely be back and we will. I feel like there is so much we can talk about, but we definitely can't fit it all in one sitting. So we'll definitely come back, have another chit chat. And um, yeah, that is it for this episode. Dignified and Elias information will be in the description box yeah you can check them out follow them on their social medias they've got so much good stuff going on if you need a personal trainer Elia is your person in terms of web design dignified is your person and his podcast info will be also in the description box if you're in the music industry super dope um podcast to listen to so yeah that is it until next time stay tuned to the dreams of money podcast period Tell him again. <laughs>